Please pray with me. Gracious God, we have come to be with you. So as we sit under your word, and as we reflect upon a confession of the church, we pray that you would transform the words of my mouth, the thoughts of our hearts, so that you would be in this process, that you would reach out to each of us individually, and that we would receive exactly what you would have for us, but you would speak to our community as well. We pray this upon the strong name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The reading today from the Old Testament is from Psalm 31. In you, O Lord, I seek refuge. Do not let me ever be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. You are indeed my rock and my fortress. For your name's sake, lead me and guide me. Take me out of the net that is hidden for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and my persecutors. Let your face shine upon your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. And from the New Testament, John 14, verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And from John 10, verses 1 and 9, Very truly I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by another way, is a thief and a bandit. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved, and will come in and go out and find pasture. from the Barman Declaration. 
we reject the false doctrine that the church could and should recognize as a source of its proclamation beyond and besides the one word of God, yet other events, powers, historic figures, and truths as God's revelation. The confessions are not scripture, but the confessions within the Reformed tradition are meant to be used, not admired, and certainly not taken for granted or buried. As a confessing movement, the Reformed tradition puts believers, though, in a difficult position. Confession, confessions place us in the middle of a tension between authority and freedom, a tension we have to endure, but which we try to get rid of all too often. As Reformed Christians, we are not free agents. Our confessions claim authority over us, although their authority is not absolute. That framing of this sermon series is helpful to me. Those words were written by Margaret Ernst Habib, a specialist on the Barman Declaration. The Barman Declaration. During the first years of the Nazi regime in Germany, so 1933-1934, Margaret points out that the majority of Protestant churches and Catholic churches stood behind Hitler. Let's just pause there for a moment. The majority of Christian churches stood behind Hitler and celebrated him not only as the Fuhrer in the political era, the leader, but also the Fuhrer in the church, the leader of the church. So the group, the majority of Christians who did this referred to themselves as German Christians. and then began to introduce a crude mixture of pagan and pseudo-Christian elements, all trying to prove that the Aryan race was superior, created and designated by God to rule the world. This was supported by the majority of Christians. And so this marks a significant crisis in the Christian church. Now, I don't know about you, but when I first learned about this set of facts and the Barman Declaration, I sort of said, this is probably in 1980 or the late 70s, whew, Glad we've got that one taken care of. We've learned our lesson. That could never, ever happen again. Right? That, that's, I spoke out of the ignorance and audacity of youth. The reason why the Barman Declaration is put in our book of confessions 
is that we recognize as Reformed people that, of course, it could always happen again. And we need to be wary. So how did things begin to go so bad? I mean, one of the things that we can point to is that, and see if this rings a bell to you, there was a splitting between heaven and earth. Sort of this line of thinking that well, God is in charge and interested in what's spiritual. And that's completely separate from what is earthly or political. And our separation of church and state, which quite frankly isn't about what I just described, is often understood as exactly what I just described. And so it's possible for us to begin to see how that particular type of thinking, which actually is a Christian heresy, to think that somehow God is not interested in what we would call the political, which basically is how do we organize ourselves, how do we care about ourselves, what ethics do we live by, right? I mean, it's one thing to say, preacher, don't tell me how to vote. And as Presbyterians, we believe that. We believe in the freedom of conscience. I will never tell you how to vote. I don't, believe, I don't belong to a political party. I'm not even a registered independent. I am a non-declared. Which, by the way, when you're non-declared, everyone sends you everything. I don't believe I could tell you how to vote. And if you've been here for 20 years, you know in November I usually say, I think it's really hard as a Christian to vote. I don't think it's obvious. But the separation of church and state in our country, in our tradition, has everything to do with the church having the right to worship and do its work without any interference from the state. And that's not what happened in Germany. Something different happened in Germany. Now, I want to read something to you, and um, this is timely, but I need to tell you I could find something very much like this about Barack Obama, but this is going to be about Donald Trump, okay? So you can go on Amazon today and buy a book titled President Donald J. Trump the Son of Man, the Christ. Published by Helgard Mueller. On Amazon, this is how the book is described. During the presidency of President Donald Trump, it became evident to me that the prophecies about the Son of Man as predicted by Jesus in the Bible were fulfilled at the hands of Mr. Trump. The Bible speaks about two different Christs or Messiahs. Jesus, the Son of God, is the one Christ where the Son of Man is the other. Jesus always referred to the Son of Man in the third person. 
the greatest distinction or significance between the Son of Man and the Son of God, the Lamb, is their respective positions on the throne of God. Son of Man, the Lamb stands in front of the throne of God, whereas the Son of Man is positioned at the right hand of God. Jesus spoke about two different killings in the four Gospels of the New Testament. People read these scriptures and are unaware that Jesus, the Son of God, predicted his own killing in first person as opposed to the several prophecies that he made in respects to the Son of Man who will be crucified. The New Testament speaks about two kings. Jesus, the Son of God, is the King of the Jews. Whereas the Son of Man is the King of Kings, who will be the world ruler, he will rule the nations and the, and the earth with a rod of iron. This book will explain in depth how Donald John Trump's full name literally means the ruler of the world, graced by Yahweh, and a descendant of a drummer. It's not a farce. You can buy it on Amazon. I don't recommend it. Now, I think it's pretty fringy, honestly. I don't think it's a mainstream thing. But this person's going to make some money off of this. And this person's going to make some money off of this because of what's happening in our larger culture. And we're told in Scripture to expect this. Jesus said that there will be many antichrists who come and they do all sorts of things that will please you. Don't believe them. Remember when Jesus stood before Pilate? And Pilate, in his estimation, recognized that Jesus didn't do anything wrong. And he realized that he had a political loophole. He could grant clemency to someone who was under his control. And so he asked the crowd, who should he grant clemency to, thinking that they would cry out Jesus. They cry out Barabbas. a real insurrectionist criminal. And when they cry out Barabbas, the priests, the religious people, start a chant towards Jesus, crucify him. Now, unless you think that human nature has improved dramatically since biblical times, and if you're Presbyterian, just our default position is we don't, then it shouldn't be surprising to us that whether you look at the right or the left, this type of thinking is something that is always before us. The Barman Declaration says, Jesus Christ, as he is attested to in Holy Scripture, by the way, Everything this person says about the Son of Man and the Son of God is just absolutely wrong. What this author is counting on 
is that people want it to be right and won't read the text carefully, right? Jesus Christ, as he is attested to us in Holy Scripture, is the one word of God to whom we have to hear, to whom we have to trust and obey in life and death. Remember how I said that I will never tell you how to vote? But you know what? If Jesus appears to you at night in a dream and tells you how to vote, I would go with that. The reason why I will tell you never how to vote is because, obviously, right, I'm not who? And you should never listen to anyone else for ultimate things except for Jesus Christ as he is attested to in Scripture. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I think sometimes we have struggled over what does this mean for people of other faiths so much that we've lost the fact that in many ways Jesus is saying this to his disciples when his disciples were so prone to want Jesus to be like a Barabbas. Let's remember what happened. Jesus says, I need to go to Jerusalem and suffer and die. And they say, no. Peter says, no way. That's not what a Messiah does. Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. When Jesus is crucified and dies, the disciples run away. When Jesus shows up on the road to Emmaus, resurrected, they don't recognize him. Um, Jesus asks, what are you upset about? The disciples, the two that are there, say, you know what? We thought he was the Messiah. He must have just been a prophet. You can read under that. Because Messiahs act like Barabbas. They get things done. When Jesus says, anyone who enters the sheepfold by another way, by another gate, perhaps that gets a little bit closer to some of the temptations that we might have, and maybe especially on, say, the liberal side, of thinking that somehow we can bring the kingdom of God down here to earth if we just have the right policies, if we do just the right things, if we force people to do the right things. Right? Jesus is focusing our eternal salvation on the truth that he and he alone revealed. And we can't ever mistake that with the promises of politicians, however tempting that is. Now, when the Barman Declaration's first thesis urges us to confess what we will say together, it actually leads us to the very center of our faith. It leads us to what unites us as all Christians. Uh, Here's how Margaret uh, Habib describes it. 
The confession anchors us not in what separates us from others, whether in our own church or within the broader Christian community. Here in Spokane, the Church of Jesus Christ is torn apart because of political division. How does that happen? How can that possibly happen? The Theological Declaration of Barman, by having us focus on the revelation of Jesus Christ, works, first of all, to bring us together. The first thesis of Barman urges us first to look at the very center, to trust and obey this one word of God. It is an urgent commitment to turn from the borders, right, to the very center as obedient, trusting our God who is more powerful in holding us together than in separating us one from the other. Now, we can learn from Facebook on this, I think. Right? The way that Facebook really works and monetizes is by separating us into little groups and then pitting us against each other. That's the business plan. It's been very successful, and we fall for it all the time. If the business plan was to bring us together, if that made Facebook money, they would do it. And it would look very different, wouldn't it? But there's something about human nature that is prone to moving us towards identifying other people as either in our tribe or against us, either for us or our enemy, right? And then we completely forget, maybe as Christians, that Jesus said, look, if you only love the people that are for you, what good is that? Even the heathen do that. But I tell you to love your enemies. And the Declaration of Barman says, we confess that that's the one we call Lord, and we will obey. You know, in hindsight, right, and this is always the danger, I think, of dealing with Barman, because it involves Nazis Everyone's like, oh, yeah, okay, you, you, you've lost me because the Nazis were absolutely terrible and that would never happen in our culture or our country. In hindsight, it's easy to identify what the Synod of Barman had in mind when it spoke about those other events and powers, figures and truths. It's more difficult, isn't it, for us to identify the events, the powers, the figures, the truths that substitute for us from the Word of God. But it's so important that we do that. If we did that here as a church, I'm not sure exactly where Christ would lead us. That would be presumptuous on my part, but I, knew, I know we would be unified more together. We'd be a congregation that was very, very comfortable holding different political views, but we would be centered on Christ. And we would love each other being centered on Christ because the political, well, the political doesn't raise itself, doesn't rise to the same level. It's not even close, right? 
I think that for the most part, that's what I see in this congregation. So hopefully I'm preaching to the choir. But at sort of a deeper level, what happened in Germany, I think, has a lot to do with idolatry. And John Calvin, for example, said our natural disposition as human beings is to be an idol factory. Left to our own devices, we create idols. Soon we will say, you'll be invited to say, we reject the false doctrine that the church could and should recognize as a source of its proclamation beyond and besides this one word of God, yet other events, powers, historic figures, and truths as God's revelation. This hits me in a delicate place. Because I want to say that whoever wrote Les Mis, that's at a scriptural level. I love Les Mis. The theological declaration of Barman won't let me do that. It hits us more seriously at a deeper level if we substitute anything that's closer at hand with the Word of God or a better understanding of Jesus Christ. The Declaration of Barman asks us to consciously fight idolatry and honestly admit that our idols claiming our loyalty are not only found outside the church but inside the church, in the very middle of the church's proclamation. I feel like we've been working on this. See if this sounds familiar. So the sermon title is, What Does It Mean to Obey Jesus Christ? If we accept a theological definition of Jesus Christ as primarily a rescuer, think about the triangle. That Jesus Christ is primarily a rescuer, we are primarily victims. And that Jesus Christ is set over and against our enemies. We succumb to idolatry. That's exactly where the disciples were when they didn't want Jesus to go to Jerusalem. That's exactly the worldview that most politicians use left and right to get your vote. Instead, when Jesus was asked questions about what type of Messiah was he, or, for example, what was most important in all of those laws of the Old Testament, you know, he could have picked laws that would have fed right into the triangle. But instead, he picked, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's not a triangle. It's an upside-down T. It matters how we think about Jesus. Because if we think about Jesus as being the ultimate rescuer, it's then very, very easy to slip in and finding a political leader who will rescue us as well. Whether it's Donald Trump, or Barack Obama. Way too easy. 
and it's a form of idolatry. And I think we confess that we've been there. Things moved very quickly in 1933. On January 30th, Hitler was named Chancellor of Germany. Did not have majority rule at all. But was named Chancellor, clean up the mess, fix this, rescue this. In February 1933, the Parliament building is burned. Suspicion by historians was that it was the Nazi party that did it. But of course, it was blamed on the communists, which gave them the pretense to be able to declare what we would call martial law. They didn't call it martial law, obviously. But you know what I'm talking about. Then the next month, this happened. In March of 1933, Hitler declares before Parliament the following, quote, the national government sees in the two confessions, Catholic and Protestant, the most important factors for the preservation of our nationality. The national government will provide and guarantee to the Christians confessions, the influence due to them in the schools and education and the rights of the church will not be curtailed. Now I submit to you that if you think about Jesus in the triangle, how could you not think that that proclamation was anything less than the will of God and the gift of God? And then in that year, a very famous poster was put together on the eve of Martin Luther's 450th birthday. Martin Luther, we have two likenesses of him. One likeness was used. Behind him in the sun is the swastika. Underneath it, here's the translation, Hitler's struggle and Luther's teaching provides the best defense for the German people. It's not about liberal or conservative. It's about obedience to our Lord Jesus Christ. It's about loving across boundaries that are set up in that dysfunctional triangle. It's about loving each other strong enough in Christ to listen to each other's political differences and recognize that everyone holds on to some truth, is letting go of our need for a rescuer when we have a savior. I would invite you, if you are so inclined, to stand with me and to confess this one article of the Barman Declaration. It's in the box. Jesus Christ, as he is attested to us in Holy Scripture, is the one word of God whom we have to hear and whom we have to trust and obey in life and death. We reject the false doctrine that the church could and should recognize as a source of its proclamation beyond and besides this one word of God Yet other events, powers, historic figures, and truths as God's 
revelation. Let us continue standing and sing how firm a foundation.